Hello and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By. We are on episode 10 forward 12. Woo! Oh. And if you remember our 10 forwards, what we often do when we wrap a series or are just into doing a new thing is we have a fanfic day. And this fanfic day is special because it's mar- it marks our roughly third anniversary. Woo! Keep it going, guys. <sighs> yeah, Jake's ready to quit. No, we've been doing this for like three Don't fucking years dare, now. And and it hasn't stopped yet. We just finished TNG. And to celebrate these TNG episodes, we've written fanfics about them. Woo. And we're going to read them. My name is Ames. My name is Caitlin. What was worse, TNG or Tiananmen Square? <laughs> it's hard to choose. <laughs> that was Jake, and this is Chris. Jake is Jake is punchy today, and I don't know why. He's a special, special boy. Yeah, so you'll remember. <laughs> He's a special boy. Uh, several weeks, months ago. When did we announce this? I don't know. Ten centuries in the past. There's there's no pattern to when we announce it that we're doing the thing. But we pulled names out of hats. We've chose a bunch of our, our random TNG characters. And then from those selected which ones we wanted to put into special fanfics to read for you all in celebration of finishing TNG and the TNG movies. It's, they've already turned off the recording at this point. Let me explain As it soon as they time. heard fanfic, <laughs> <laughs> they were skipping to Mark Maron. Oh, I, Mark Maron. What the listeners will have missed, however, is that we played a couple games of Down and Out, which is just a dice game, to determine the order that we're going to go in this episode. From Milton Bradley. I don't think it's Milton Bradley. No, I don't think what it is, is either. I don't know. Parker? It is made by In Adult Games Magnif Makes It. The fuck? Oh, I think it's Maginif. Is it Maginif? It's M-A-G-N-I-F. Maginif. Cool. It's an old game. And it was it, fun. But it's an adult game, which makes it sound racy. We actually played strip in and out. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who had to take off the most clothing. I know. So you, I have to go first. terribly at down and out. So Caitlin, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a thimble. Take it all <laughs> so off I've and left. take it away. I have to snort Guinan. Damn it, Jake. <laughs> okay. So I wrote a fan fiction, and fans of the show will be impressed to know that I started my fan fiction like 72 hours before it was due instead of of five minutes before. Uh, I don't think it will show because I'm not talented, but... uh, You're very mean to yourself. That's fine. I appreciate it. And I have titled it also. Part of um, starting early was that I come up with a title. And I have to admit that the entire... I came up with the title... And what it would be, and then kind of built the whole thing around it. So basically, this is all built to be a shitty punchline. So I apologize. Uh, it's called the Pulaski Maneuver. Cool. And who are your, your picks? Pulaski. Shocking. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. And Leah Brahms. Nice. Ladies night. Is it ladies night? Okay. For a second, I thought you were going to do a spit take, and I was like getting ready to dodge. Not do a spit take on the mic. Oh, there's too much electronics around. 
Well, I, uh, an unintentional one. I didn't think it was going to ah. be on purpose. Like, you were just going <laughs> to... Chris's projectile vomits. Chris has decided that... Fuck this podcast. Wow, Chris, how could you? Okay. I hate it. She... <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. Okay. She wasn't exactly what you would call a blonde bombshell, but she was no granny either. You could see from her bright eyes and sarcastic smile that she almost certainly broke her share of hearts in her heyday. One of those hearts was the subject of her interest for the evening. Don't get the wrong idea, it's not Leah Brahms. And she had dressed to the part. Oh, that would have been better, Ames! Fuck! Her black synthosilk dress fit just right. Parenthetical, just as the slaughter of animals was largely a thing of the past thanks to replicators, they had long ago given up raising silkworms just for soft, shiny fabric. End parenthetical. And she had employed a touch of makeup to accentuate her already enviable features. Catherine, you look pretty damn good tonight, she thought, looking around her. You could give these kids a run for their money. She sat at a freshly cloth table in a small restaurant, a silently hovering but empty chair across from her awaiting its occupant. The decor was nothing spectacular, though the hollow chandeliers never ceased to impress new visitors. They cast beautiful pastel light and rotated around the room, creating a soft kaleidoscope effect. Which sounds like it would be really, like, dizzying, actually, but let's pretend it's nice. Um, like a disco ball. She had chosen the spot not just because it was one of her favorites, but also because she knew the lighting would give her that Vaseline on a camera lens look. Ah! <laughs> and tonight could be an important night. <laughs> she doesn't know what TV is. Catherine was pulled from her thoughts and hopes for the evening by a familiar voice calling to her from across the room. She saw a handsome, dark-skinned man approaching, with shocking bright blue eyes. His dress gave him away as a Starfleet officer, yellow for engineering. He looked familiar, but she couldn't quite place him. Dr. Pulaski, imagine running into you here, exclaimed Geordi, leaning down to embrace the former CMO of the Enterprise warmly. It's so wonderful to see you. How have you been? How's the on-planet life? Geordi! How nice to see you, said Pulaski, remembering at last as she returned his hug stiffly. She was not really a hugging person. Things have been well, as well as they can be, trying to teach advanced medical courses to students who would rather be adventuring on a starship already. Not as exciting as my time on board the Enterprise, but when Starfleet Academy calls, you answer. You finally took my advice and got the implants. I almost didn't recognize you. Oh, right, you haven't seen me out of the visor, he grinned. He decided to skip telling her about the time he grew new, fully functional eyes. Pulaski wasn't the type to believe in something so far-fetched. But say, have you heard the news? Diana and Will are finally tying the knot. A wry smile crossed Pulaski's face, and she shook her head. No, I hadn't heard. I think my invitation must have been lost in the mail. Though it's interesting you ask, I'm meeting Kyle Riker here a little later. <clears throat> most people might have seen that as a tactful way to end a conversation. <laughs> but Jordy wasn't most people, and though he was one of the best in terms of engineering, tactful he was not. Jordy grinned wide and made sure to log this information away to tease Will. He'd heard rumors that Pulaski and Kyle... Ugh, that paragraph doesn't work well, sorry. He had heard rumors that Pulaski and Kyle Riker had been intimate friends, and he knew Will had heard the same. He could almost see his face now. Say, I'm actually meeting someone for a drink here, too, Jordy offered. Remember Leah Brahms? Of course I do, Pulaski replied. Anyone worth their salt here in Starfleet knows Dr. Brahms. But why is she meeting you for a drink? 
Pulaski tried to keep her question on the right side of rude. (laughs) (laughs) But after the infamously embarrassing first encounter between Jordy and Leah, she couldn't think of any reason beyond fatalistic female politeness that would have brought the two of them together in such an intimate fashion. Well, I'm sure you know we became great friends after meeting on the Enterprise, said Jordy, settling into the chair across from Pulaski to continue their conversation. I didn't realize that, no, said Pulaski, taking a long sip from her water and wishing it was something stronger. (laughs) Fancy that. Well, yeah, we've run into each other at a few conferences, exchanged a few subspace communications, mostly when there have been changes made to how I'm running the Enterprise, but they've always been very friendly exchanges, said Jordy, who Pulaski was beginning to think was definitely confusing politeness and mutual friendly interest. I see, said Pulaski. It's... Nice that you, the two of you are able to continue as colleagues and work together with such a rapport. I thought so too, said Jordy seriously. And I know she's married, so I have no expectations, obviously. But I'm hoping to ask her tonight if she'd like to go to the Troy Riker wedding as my date. As your date? <laughs> Pulaski choked on her water. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, said Jordy. <laughs> Don't call me Shirley. No, is that in there? Yeah, of course it is. Oh, no. (laughs) He grinned, but his smile faltered when Pulaski didn't respond in kind. More of a friend date, really, not a date date. Pulaski fell silent for a moment, holding Jordy's gaze with a hard stare, before sighing and taking another sip from her near-empty glass. (laughs) It sounds to me like you're in need of a very serious medical intervention, Pulaski muttered, serving Jordy some serious (laughs) side-eye. I don't even feel unwell. How could you determine I need medical attention after what I just... Trust me, you need it, Pulaski said flatly. It's a procedure I created and perfected. In lay terms, it's called the Pulaski Maneuver. It's used for extraction. Extraction, interrupted Jordy. My God, do you think I need to have an organ removed? Because I suggested... I never said an organ would need to be removed, Mr. LaForge, said Pulaski. (laughs) What needs, in fact, to be removed is your head from your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Are you really suggesting that after your incredibly unprofessional run-in with Ms. Brahms, uh, Dr. Brahms, on board the Enterprise, you would actually have the unimaginable gall to ask her to be your date to a wedding? Listen, you don't really know what you're talking about here, said Jordy gently, like he might with a child mid-tantrum. Leah and I had a good laugh about it after all was said and done, and besides... Jordy, I can't believe that in the 24th century I have to have this conversation with you, Pulaski sighed. (laughs) We're supposed to be beyond this now. Some perfect future. She steepled her hands over her water glass and stuck Jordy with an unflinching stare. Jordy, your behavior towards Leah has been incredibly inappropriate. If she'd reported you to your superiors, you would have been stripped of your rank and probably blacklisted from Starfleet altogether. I think you're making this too big of a deal, said Jordy nervously, glancing at the parties at nearby tables and gesturing with his hands for her to keep it down. Please, Catherine, you could just lower your if you could just lower your voice. If it's not a big deal, then why do you care if these people hear about it, Jordy? spat Pulaski. Your inappropriate relationship with your hollow Leah Brahms is not unknown among some, some here at Starfleet, though because she didn't want to file a report it's largely gone un, largely gone ignored. That much is bad enough. To then treat Dr. Brahms with such disrespect when you found she wasn't who you thought is absolutely disgraceful. The diners at nearby tables were looking around, trying to not seem obvious and listening to the quickly escalating, friendly conversation. Now I'll tell you what you are going to do when Dr. Brahms walks in here to meet you, continued Pulaski. 
And you are going to ask her something, Geordie. But you know what you're going to ask her? You're going to ask her for forgiveness for your disgusting behavior. You're going to do so after acknowledging that you have behaved, frankly, as a cad. And you're ashamed that things happened the way they did. If I hear from anyone that you actually asked her to attend the Troy Riker wedding with you, Geordie, I will reverse the Pulaski maneuver and stick your head so far up your ass you'll be able to see your vocal cords. Do we have an understanding? All the way up. <laughs> Jordy leapt up from his chair, blushing a deep crimson red. Catherine, I, I had no idea, he stammered. Leah, Dr. Brahms has always acted so friendly when we talked. I had no clue she was so upset. No, you wouldn't, would you, Jordy? scoffed Pulaski. Too wrapped up in your own hurt pride to think about how she was feeling. What a terrible position you put her in. Did you know that in the 21st century, brilliant women in science and technology fields went through this kind of disgusting harassment regularly? Brilliant minds were forced to flee from their fields because they were the subjects of mockery and gross misconduct from their male colleagues and worse, their superiors. Jordy stood, mouth agape in shocked silence. Catherine, you're right, said Jordy. I've been such a fool, a disgrace to my uniform. He buried his hand, head in his hands and Pulaski thought she spied a glimmer of gathering tears in his unearthly blue eyes. Thank you, Catherine, for making me see the truth, the reality of how I've behaved. I, I will tell Leah... Tell Leah what? asked a cautious but friendly female voice from behind Jordy. Jordy jumped, visibly startled by the arrival of his intended dinner partner, ran a thumb across his eyes to slick away the threatening tears, and turned to look at Dr. Brahms, who stood before him with an eyebrow raised. Leah! I, uh, I was gonna tell you that Catherine sends her regards, but now you're here and she can send them herself, can't you, doctor? He turned back to Pulaski, eyes pleading for her to not rat him out. Pulaski cleared her throat and straightened her shoulders, shooting Geordie one last quick glare before turning her attention to Leah and smiling. Dr. Brahms, wonderful to see you. How are your husband and the children? <laughs> They're doing well, thank you, said Leah warmly, crossing to Catherine and greeting her with a quick kiss on each cheek. Leah was dressed in what looked like her usual work clothes with one of her signature turtlenecks, her hair scooped back into a loose twist at the back of her head. To look at her, you would think her ready for a fight, not a feast. Always lovely to run into you. Geordie, did you still want to grab that drink? Geordie looked at the two women and saw them as both wearing battle armor. One for love, one for war. He smiled. I would like that, Leah, if you're willing. I would really like to talk to you about something important. I realize what an ass I've been, and I owe you an apology. Can we find a quiet table to talk? Leah looked shocked, and Pulaski looked smug. <laughs> <laughs> Another successful use of the Pulaski maneuver. Now, if only Jordy could keep his head on his shoulders and not up his... Well, she would give him the benefit of the doubt. For now. You two enjoy. It seems like you have a lot to talk about, said Pulaski, craning her neck to see around them. It was then that she spotted Kyle Riker walking into the bar and smiled. As tall and as handsome as ever, she thought, a smile curving half of her mouth. Besides, my visitors just arrived. Go on, you two, before you make yourselves a nuisance. She gestured as if to hurry them along and then smiled and waved at Kyle. He saw her, smile, and started on his way over. As Jordy and Leah walked across the room to find a quiet spot, Jordy overheard Kyle say, Catherine, did you hear about Will? He and Dion are to be married, and I wanted to ask, would you be willing yeah. to join me as my guest for the blessed event? Jordy hid a smile. He knew the conversation he was about to have with Leah would be unpleasant at best, but at least he had some serious dirt to throw at Will next time he saw him. 
But he realized he'd learned something more valuable than romantic gossip that day, and he vowed silently to be a better man for it. That's my fanfic. Fuck yeah! I like it. Pulaski, ever the badass. It'll be an excuse to post that uh, never forget Pulaski fucked Riker's dad art, which I do not apparently have on my phone. What? So I must have it on a computer, because I know I saw it recently. So this was definitely, it was, what was the one, where did they get married? Nemesis? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think you Ames mentioned that yeah. like, they were gonna make Leah his date, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, bad choice. Someone, I, like the, I like that you have her still married, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. She's married. And, Why, and is, she what? Not, is she not married? Jordy hasn't no. murdered her husband yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, right. <laughs> so like, Pulaski rocks, Jordy sucks, Leah's a victim. I wanted Jordy to finally get fucking dressed down for being such a creep. Good. No, he so, deserves it. Leah doesn't really get to factor that much into my fic. She's one of the characters, but... But she's the driving force. And it was... And Just it was... like ever, she's a plot point for Jordy's personal development. Oh, fuck. Why'd you have to say that? <laughs> Ouch. You're right, though. That sucks. Oh, well. Well, that just makes it more like real Star Trek. Good for me. <laughs> You could be one of the writers. I, I did, next, Chris? I did enjoy, though, that your, your Pulaski kind of, by the end, started to sound vaguely like Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of like... <laughs> LaForge! LaForge! Yeah, Get well, over here! I started out vaguely remembering what she sounded like, and then it just went off the rails. I mean, what's good. his name? Wouldn't no, like a good Kyle Riker. What's nah. his name? Oh, that other actor she allegedly... Jimmy Stewart? No, no. <laughs> James Stewart. <laughs> now, well... I can't do it. I can't do it, Jim Stewart. Ah, oh, jeez, well. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's right. Now, now, see, if you were making, like, 1940s <laughs> Let's TNG... Let's play some buco. 1940s TNG, he'd have to be Data. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. That would be I, I, I can't fail emotion, oh. Captain. Oh, no. I want to... Stretch myself as a human. Nice. No, but there, there was an actor she allegedly was having an affair with for a long time. I can't think of his name. They did multiple films together. Clark Gable. No, no, he was an older fella. Um, Clark Gable wasn't actually an older fella, was he? Well, this guy was more visibly an old. Actually, no, Clark Gable only died in like his early fifties. Really? That's yeah, crazy. but he no, looked. He but he looked eighty. Young. So, well, he was, you know, it's the past. Everyone smoked like chimneys. Um, well, good work, Caitlin. Cool, very good. Thanks. Yeah, very good, Caitlin. Yeah, it that. wasn't so science fictiony, but I just no, no, that's it's good. That's it's a good, good story. A, yeah, because I know I know you like character stuff, so those are those are some good that's character. A good characters. Thanks, guys. Uh, and we move on to I think I was commenting to Chris earlier that each of the rest of us has one of Data's family members. Spencer Tracy. Oh, here he is. Uh, is he in your fanfic? Actually, he kind of looks like um. The... In this picture, anyway, he looks like the guy from Up. Up, up yeah, Spencer Tracy, Data's nephew. Wait, who, who does Chris have? This Data relative. Well, let's ask Chris. <clears throat> yes, so I had Rasmussen Ooh. and Lal. Oh. I also threw in some guest characters. Nice. Oh dear. Oh no, is Mark Twain back? I was tempted, but no. <laughs> this is called special delivery. Well, Doc, here we are, the pilot said, a low rumble filling the cockpit as various thrusters fired to bring the ship to what amounted to a stop in the frictionless vacuum of space. (laughs) He turned to face his passenger, his idiot ponytail almost snagging on some of the flotsam he wore on his ridiculous vest. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Looks like we beat your contact, though. (laughs) Oh, that I very much doubt, Captain, the lanky passenger replied, standing and leaning towards the comms panel. He punched a few keys, and with a moment the sensor panel was alive with warning. 
What the? The captain's eyes darted around his panels. A ship is decloaking. Doc, what's going on? I don't want to get mixed up in anything unsavory. Don't worry, my dear captain. My friend isn't unsavory. Merely cautious. He said that, but being honest, he'd never actually met the owner of the ship that was, for lack of a better term, wavering into view. It was a simple, silvery affair, all sleek curves and a few decorative swirls in the hull. It wasn't the kind of vessel that was supposed to inspire awe or fear, to make people back away and tremble, and also not so high-end as to inspire envy. A ship easy to lose in a crowded space dock or port. This is the erstwhile hailing civilian yacht, the captain said, interrupting the doctor's thoughts. Repeat, this is the erstwhile Captain Akona speaking. Please respond. <clears throat> yes, <clears throat> came a somewhat croaking voice over the speakers. <laughs> this is the steward. Is Dr. Isaacson with you? I'm here, yes, the passenger called. Very good. Handle anything remaining with your pilot and prepare to beam over. A small beat. You have it, then. I'd not be here otherwise. Good lad. Steward out. Several years in the 24th century had still not entirely gotten Rasmussen used to the sensation of transporting. He'd remembered the theory of teleporters getting real traction in his time, with early and promising tests with photons and such, but even then it was assumed they wouldn't be considered safe for more than cargo for at least a century after their introduction. From what he'd learned, however, it didn't take long for some mad Starfleet captain to find an excuse to hurdle himself through space with one of the things. He had been told by the denizens of the time that you adapted eventually. He wasn't sure. To Rasmussen, it started as a tingle, like when his arm or leg would fall asleep, only over and within every inch of his body. And for a split second, he was aware of his entire being in a way he normally wasn't, possibly because the sensation was so all-consuming. And even that second was so overwhelming that he felt his brain might shut down from the overstimulation of feedback. Not that his feeling was apparently universal. Some people thought it was a pleasant, warm feeling. He read the memoirs of a Starfleet physician named McCoy who said it was simultaneously itchy and ticklish, while making him feel weightless for a few spare seconds until reassembly made him feel sure, for just a moment, that his hair alone was enough heavy enough to crush his whole body. Either way, for every little convenience and luxury and delight the future held, Rasmussen could have thoroughly done without transporters. He glanced around and found he had materialized on a simple three-pad affair. He was in the middle, his simple baggage to his left and his delivery to his right. Before him was the control panel and, presumably, the person who had operated it. Well, person, according to everything Rasmussen had read about his host. If someone said he was from a race of potato people, he'd not be entirely surprised. <laughs> Professor Sung, Rasmussen said with a broad grin, stepping off the pad and extending a hand. What a joy to finally meet you in person. Eh, yes, likewise, Doctor. The old man <laughs> paused. Is it Isaacson or Rasmussen? <laughs> ah, yes, safe to use my real name now. And hello, Dr. Rasmussen. The old man's eyes darted to the case on the transporter pad. So, was it difficult to get? Oh, probably. Rasmussen winked. I wouldn't know. Eh, what does that mean? It means I made sure my hands weren't seen in this. It's safer for both of us that way. He turned around and looked at the case from the pad. You meet the most interesting people in one of those Federation detention camps. Not that you'd know, of course. Now, the ne'er-do-wells in my family's history went to regular jail. He gestured to Rasmussen and walked away from the transporter controls. There was no separate room like on larger ships. Rasmussen was standing right in the midst of a large space that was filled with various tables laden with a variety of electronic clutter. Off to one side, however, was a smallish bar with a grinning man standing at it. A refreshment before we get to it, Doctor, Sung offered. Walsh here is an excellent bartender. What's your pleasure? Sumerian sunset? Jipper? Mint julep? Jipper. <laughs> I've developed a taste for Saurian brandy, if you have any of that. Right away, sir, chirped Walsh, spinning quickly to the collection of bottles behind him. 
He was soon slowly pouring from one of the distinctive curved bottles into the traditional corkscrew glass. Professor, is he an android? Yes. A very basic model, though, nothing like my son's. Why make a machine that wants to be more when you just want it to make your dinner and tidy up, hmm? Your drink, Doctor. Thank you. He went to a wash assembled some green concoction for Soong. He smiled and the men clinked glasses. To the Soong positronic brain. Er, yes. Hopefully those Starfleet scientists didn't make a mess of it. Soong took a pull took Soong took a pull from his drink. So if you didn't get it, who did? A lovely woman I met at the camp. Actually, the one who got us out, too. She turned up this brilliant con where she had the natives of some backwater convinced she was some ancient god or demon or something they'd made a deal with for a millennium <laughs> of prosperity or some such. But then Starfleet got involved and blew her cover. My old friend was her captor, no less. Eh, he gets around. Still, no offense to you, but no one I'd rather have keeping an eye on my boy. Soong took another drink. So, where's your compatriot now? She's not going to show up separately asking for pay, is she? Because whatever you offered her is coming out of your share of the latinum. Oh, she wouldn't know how to find you. And she thinks I'm dead. Huh? I staged an attack at our rendezvous point. I was disintegrated by some pirates when she handed over the package. A lot of people are getting involved. Oh, don't worry. You and the real contents of my package never came up. They thought I was smuggling narcotics to Risa. <laughs> Nothing special. I assume they're awake by now. Huh? Oh, the idiot leader had this bizarre loyalty device implanted in all his crew and himself. It was easy enough to figure out how to mimic the signal of his controller. They were all having a nice nap when I met up with Captain Nakona and beamed away. I set their ship to head for Romulan space. Hopefully they came to before crossing the neutral zone. I suppose you left a bomb or something behind with Nakona. No, he was a gormless kid. Told him I was shipping some rare Tholian biological samples to be studied by a Federation scientist. The fare was nothing. Already paid. Rasmussen took another drink. So, shall we to work? A table was cleared for the case. Rasmussen punched a code into a pad on the front, and a hiss escaped the box as it slid opened. Inside, perched neatly inside black padding, was what appeared at first glance to be a human woman's head. Soon reached inside with trembling fingers and extracted it, revealing the metal joint and various connectors that were at the bottom of the neck. Its black hair was badly mussed and fell oddly around its face. Hello, Lao, Soon whispered. I'm your grandfather. Aww. He carefully slotted the head into a socket resting on top of the table. He fiddled around underneath the hair, and suddenly the entire top of her head came away, taking most of her hair with it. He spent a moment just admiring the silver skull underneath, tracing his fingers over a few connectors and the tiny, currently unlit status bulbs that were scattered across it. From what I read, there was a complete cascade failure, Rasmussen said after the pause had begun to become uncomfortable. So is there really anything that can be done? Or maybe. Just maybe. Soong looked up. You see, my boy, well, he's brilliant. But even he doesn't have quite all my knowledge on positronic brains. And some of the work involved is, well, I hate to say this, but it's not an exact science. Some of it is just intuition. And for all that I can do, that's something that's just not programmable. Well, then. Won't know until we try. May I assist? Uh, thank you, yes. After that, there was very little talking for the next several hours, save for Soong asking for a tool or directing Rasmussen to make some connection or replace some doohickey. Walsh would occasionally putter over with water before heading back to the bar to vacantly stare into the middle distance. <laughs> nice. While he had been very convincing at first, Rasmussen had to admit that the bartender was, indeed, an inferior model. Right. Soong suddenly straightened up, or at least became as straight as his ancient bowed back would allow. That should do it. I'm afraid her memory might not be intact, though. 
He gently placed the top of the head back into place, and a barely audible click sounded from somewhere. He gently patted down her hair as a very subtle movement started under the eyelids. He crouched down, bringing his face close to hers. Come on. Come on. I've worked with enough androids in my time. You can do it. You know, it's funny, Rasmussen said, wandering around behind Sung and casually picking up flotsam from tables. I've been reading a lot of things since I've been freed. Catching up on 200 or so years of history and technology. Yes, I'm sure it's been terribly edifying. Sung's <laughs> tone... Soong's tone made it plain he did not care about whatever his guest was going on about. And Starfleet, well, they are rather bad at keeping things locked down. Well, my boy did take over their flagship pretty easy. I managed to get into some very interesting records, even some reports that went to Starfleet Command. The android's eyes began to slowly flutter open. That's it. Hello, Soong whispered. There's even one related to the time Data took over the Enterprise. Do you know why you did it? Of course! Soong stood up rather surprisingly quickly, considering all his movements up until that point. I'm the one that contacted him. It activated a subroutine in both him and his brother. His brother who killed you. Oh, is that what's bothering you? Hmm. Soong snorted and turned back to the head on the table. He placed his hands to the tabletop and leaned heavily. Her eyes were open, but they were slowly lolling around, struggling to focus on anything and occasionally going out of sync. Yes, well, there, there's a simple explanation for that. Which is? Onunian Sung is dead. Rasmussen let out a shocked gasp as, in that exact moment, a pair of powerful arms wrapped around him, squeezed tight, and lifted him off the ground. He kicked uselessly at the legs of, at the legs of his attacker as Sung moved towards him, a hand going for his pocket. You know, had you just not bothered being so nosy, I would have paid you and sent you on your way. His hand emerged, a hypospray gripped in it. Ah, oh, well. He pressed the tip to the protesting Rasmussen's neck, and the doctor quickly went limp. Walsh lowered him to the floor, where he began to snore quietly. What shall I do with him, sir? Hmm. Escape pod. Soong's voice had taken on an entirely new quality. Then send a signal to the nearest Federation starbase where to find their fugitive. Then get us out of here, maximum warp. You do not wish to say, uh, see if there's a bounty? Not worth risking myself, Walsh. He tugged on one of his hands, and the skin suddenly went very slack, slipping off like a glove to reel a much smoother one underneath. I'm probably more wanted than him. He walked over to the table as he removed his other false hand. He then reached up and pulled off the white wig he wore, revealing a crop of short, dark hair. He turned back, back to Walsh, grinning broadly through the false face he still wore. Besides, this girl's going to be worth so much more to me than whatever piddling reward Starfleet might have on offer for such a non-offender as him. What? Where? Came a voice from the table. There was a slight hum and click under it, betraying the electronic nature. Something that were to be fixed eventually. Ah! Good evening, my dear, Soong said, turning back to her and crouching. Where am I? You're safe. Who am I? You are Lal. Lal, who are you? I am your adoptive father. He reached up and pulled his false face away. The wrinkles and bushy eyebrows were gone, replaced by an almost cherubic face adorned with a thick mustache that he began to neaten with his fingers before curling up the edges. You can call me Harry. Oh, no. But to everyone else... I am Harcourt Fenton Mud. Mud rose and looked down to where Walsh was dragging away the unconscious Rasmussen. You see, Laddie Buck, you don't have the monopoly on time travel. A strange turquoise-colored crystal on a nearby table softly glowed. The end. Huh. I like it. It's a lot of extra characters. It was basically a who's who of useless Star Trek rogues. Yeah. 
I thought when you talked about having a potato face that that was just going to be a name for Miles. That actually that <laughs> that was a Futurama reference. To what? There's an early episode where they're discussing, you know, everyone in, in the crew, and Fry admits he thought that Hermes was from a race of potato people. <laughs> he didn't know he was human. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yowza. Also, I thought it would turn out to be um, Kibas Fajo. Oh, that's a good one, too. I just thought it was Laura. Oh, that's smart, too. I was that like, oh, it's, it's a robot in disguise. Robots in, in disguise. disguise. You guys are weird. Thank you. Yeah, no, Harry Mudd. That was fun. I really liked it. Interesting yeah, choice. Funny. And he has a history with androids, too. So. And, yep. Oh, that is a good point. I was going to say, like, how would he know how to fix law? But he's seen, lot, he's seen lots of androids. From the inside. Ooh. I hope that's not why he has law. Oh, no. No. Good. no, 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 no. No, he's going to sell her to some miners. No, he's going to sick her on all the... What's, her, what's his Stella's. name? Stella's. The Stella's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lala so is his new bodyguard against the Stellas. Well, because there were the Stellas and all that. And then there's in Discovery, of course, in the short trek, there's the Muds. That's true. There's a bunch jippers of Jippers on a beach. Uh, Damn it. I should have known when there were Jippers. What else? Stuart was the name of his little bug friend. Oh, and Disco. Walsh was the fake name he used yeah, the right. first time we ever met him. Yep. Wow. Look at you. I liked it a lot. I liked hearing Okana. I liked hearing reference to Ardra. That yeah. was cool. And your I, sing, your 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 sung impression was really good. That was a good sung. I Thank liked you. it. Yeah. Speaking of Chris's sung impression, right. Chris apparently entirely forgot. I did. I'm uh, sorry. That I have the monopoly on sung. I forgot he was actually one of your pulls. Yes. And I'm like my my accent is going to be very different because I have I've written a very very different sung, a very sensual. Sexy song. Oh no! I, can, so we get, can, can, can we get Billy West in here? It's a very sensual, sexy song. Mm. Delicate. Very exciting. Uh, it's a sexual, sensy song. So, don't fuck that up. So bad. <laughs> so close, <laughs> Amy. <laughs> Isn't that his girlfriend's name? Actually, yeah. yeah. Oh Amy shit, that's good. See, there you go. It worked out perfectly. Nicely, nicely done. Yeah, so I have next the next story to read. Mine is probably, I'm almost certain, the longest. Uh, hmm? Wow, rude. How many words? Oh, wow, mine was just shy of 2,100. Uh, I, I shortened it earlier to 2,851, so it's going to be a longie. So, so. Shortened it from what? 8,000. Yes. It was a small novel. <laughs> Basically, See, no, she's, she's got the original manuscript. I have the original manuscript because I was Ooh, thinking. Well, of, I have a crush on him now too. Seeing that picture, yeah, young, young, sexy song. This is the song from the dream. The dream in yeah. what's the name of it? Birthright. Birthright. That's the one. Yeah. So the song from Birthright is is a is pictured on the book that I just bought of the Cold Equation series. The book is The Persistence of Memory because when I was looking into some song stuff, and I was like, oh man, I have this great idea for for you know. If Sung was actually in the emotion chip, and when you upload the emotion chip to B four, Sung springs up, and he's and he's the new one there, Ooh. and then it turns out that's very close to some of the stuff that happens in this novel. <laughs> and I'm like, well, fuck my life. So I, I bought the novel just to read it later, and now I now I'm thoroughly enjoying what a what a sweetie pie Sung is. Wait, wasn't Sung in the emotion chip my thing? Yeah, Did that's I... why that's why I was thinking about putting it in my story because uh... Jake has this great theory that so that the emotion ship was secretly sung's personality that's that he right, meant yes. to put in data but then lore took it instead and fucked it up he meant yep. it graves it up 
Yep. I think we got into that in detail in um, the one that has the second appearance of Hugh and all that. Descent? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's right. If you'd like to go back and listen to that episode. And read Jake's theory. Yeah, I there's don't. also an article on our blog about it. Oh, that too. That too. I also don't remember what the hell I called the episode The Descent's were. Whatever, whatever the, the wrap of season six was. Yeah. Mm. Oh, was it a star to steer into? I think Justice ended up naming that. That's yeah, oh, good memory. Drive into a star in that yeah. episode. That's very true. Sorry. Yeah. So instead of doing that original I- original I- idea using Jake's sort of theory into my into my short story, I did a new thing. The title of which is Life Sized Dolls. Uh oh. And my random picks were Doctor Noonien, Often Wrong Sung, and Commander Sela. <laughs> and also while while researching, I got very very infuriated because apparently in two of the episodes that Noonien Sung was in, his name is spelled two different fucking ways. <laughs> wow! It's either E N or A N, and it's in two different like readouts on screens when they have it up. And I'm infuriated by the inconsistency. Oh, man, they need that script supervisor. I always and thought it was E N. So Memory Alpha says A N. Well, yeah, I, I thought, thought it was Ian also. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying A-N because it's what I saw in Memory Alpha. On Memory Alpha, it says A-N, but then someone at the bottom says, such and such novel incorrectly spells it A-N when it's definitely E-N because the most recent of the times it appeared on screen, it was E-N. <laughs> so Ames had that man killed. I yeah, guess he's dead now. It looks like... Khan is Khan Nunien with an E-N sing. So yeah, maybe they made him Nunien with an A just for the... Or maybe they're inconsistent and no one knows what they're doing. That's the more likely scenario. That's the most likely, yes. Alright, so strap in because I got a lot to say. Strap in, strap on, go pegging. Life-sized dolls. Computer holographic program Sung B9, she said. Commander Sila articulated her words clearly, each one efficient, sharp, direct, very Romulan. She paced her ready room back and forth back again, and when she turned once more, the soft human features of Dr. Noonien Sung met hers. The computer program not only made him look entirely real, but allowed him to act just like the real thing. Whoever you are, you must have found the B9 unit. As young as he programs himself to appear at the time, his face was serene to the point of smugness. A crooked smirk ever at his lips as he smoked the int- spoke the introductory statement he had written himself to rattle off. I programmed this holographic interface to answer any questions you might have. I am Dr. Noonien Sung. I created... Let's fast forward this, shall we? <laughs> she cut him off. I am Commander Sela of the Romulan warbird Garaxis. He absorbed his surroundings quickly and then watched the Romulan commander before him almost incredulously. Ever thinking, he was evaluating his situation from the start and what it might mean if he, even if he was just a hologram. Sela knew this and was already tiring of it. <laughs> Dr. Sung, she continued, sharp eyes piercing him. Do you know why you're here? My best guess would be you found the information module in the B9 unit. How we got into Romulan hands, of course, I can only surmise. A pale-skinned android, the B9 unit, sat lifeless on the couch opposite them in the stark room. Powered down, it appeared much like a sad piece of furniture, mostly human in aspect, aside from some unnatural skin and eye coloring. The information module had been stowed safely away in its positronic brain when the android was disassembled so that anyone who found the unit in the future may hear of its purpose, celebrate the brilliant doctor's legacy, and keep the memory of Dr. Sung alive, if one can call it that. In Romulan hands, however, the program could be distorted, tainted, abused. The possibilities for malfeasance were endless. Sila smirked and walked around the mysteriously handsome automaton, which stared with yellow eyes into the middle distance, seeing nothing, unresponsive. 
She stroked her hand along its shoulders in a manner partly flirtatious and partly dangerous. A very simple android, barely worthy of your later talents, she crooned. A first draft, he admitted, though I'm glad to hear I evidently improved. <laughs> How long? Don't you worry about that. We need something from you. Well, he shrugged, it's nice to be needed. Mm. Sila grimaced. You say that every time, Doctor. <laughs> a predictable program, she said through clenched teeth. Sung settled into a chair and looked down at the facsimiles of hands his real-life self had programmed how many years ago. They looked real enough, could hold objects, gesticulate succinctly. They could touch. For a moment, Sila could mistake the hologram for an actual being considering his own existence, but she knew better than that. She moved away from the android and lowered herself ominously into her chair behind her desk. We are asking for your expertise to create Romulan androids. We've been studying your B9 unit, your early draft, as you say. But even this model is beyond the skills of our engineers, and so we come to you. The next best thing to the mind that invented the positronic brain is a very close-to-life representation of the mind that invented the positronic brain. Sung scoffed and wrung his hands together. My, my, that certainly sounds like a Romulan scheme to me. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will not help you people. You can torture me all you like because, he shrugged, I'm not real. <laughs> but doctor, we've been through this before, many times now. You think this is the first time we've started your darling little program. How many, he asked, keeping his gaze on her. Evidently not enough. But each time you cave, and each time you give us a little more information for building a Sung-type android, you just can't help yourself. <laughs> Is this just some plot against the Federation, he asked. I understand your distrust of us, Doctor, but we can get beyond that. Of course, I could just close down your program and start again, but I believe I know you well enough to predict that you will help us. Sung stood up and turned his back on the blonde Romulan to face his old creation. The holographic scientist mimicked taking a despondent sigh as he computed his response. To what end, Commander? He turned and stared into her eyes. I told you, B-9 is incomplete. Do you really want a bunch of glorified calculators who look like you? Sela <laughs> could not contain her mischievous smirk. Half the advantage of running the Sung program was knowing everything that had come before that this holographic cyberneticist did not yet know. As any Romulan would, Sila loved having the advantage. <laughs> I've seen firsthand what your cunning little human mind can achieve in the real world, what the flesh-and-blood scientist was able to build. Her words were forceful but not threatening, and Sung's expression slowly dropped. I'm not that man yet, he said simply. You are, she insisted. The real Sung, he may have had a couple years' experience on you, but he made you just like him. And your mind has, had, has made the same discoveries his did. In time, the only difference between the two of you will be that you exist in an information module while he is dead and forgotten. Small price for immortality, I suppose, he mused <laughs> flippantly. Doctor, you've already improved upon the B-9 unit. See for yourself. Sung blinked his realistic eyes at her while his program computed this, but his curiosity permeated even this facsimile of himself, and he looked at his creation with a sort of wonder and another sort of dread. Cautiously, he stepped forward and found the well-hidden panel in the scalp of the android and opened it up. Sung shook his head in disbelief as he followed the intricate maze of delicate circuitry with a pointed finger. It was a thing of beauty that could rival most masterpieces in any other medium. A symphony in computer chips, a portrait in conduits. This is not how I left him. Who did this? 
he asked, his face alight with the glow of circuits that mapped B9's positronic brain. You did, Sela said matter-of-factly. It's outside the area of my expertise, and none of our scientists have been able to comprehend the cybernetics. Only you have made any progress with updating the unit. Impossible. The work is more advanced than, even, than I have ever attained. Merely learning the programming would take months, even years. The commander shrugged knowingly, hiding a trademark evil smirk. <laughs> As I said, this isn't the first time I've run your program. Not to mention the first time I've lamented that you don't continue where you left off. She leaned forward, gripping the sides of her desk. I've seen what your mind can do. Your later draft, Data, was the pinnacle of brilliance. A genius strategist addicting to bettering himself. I've met him and been thwarted by him, which I'm proud to say I cannot admit about many beings. And we'd like to know how you achieved such a profound creation. Sung visibly swallowed. You are attempting to manipulate me, Romulan. <laughs> I didn't even know this android, not as this version of myself. True, that isn't fair to you. She watched him closely, but Sung averted his gaze to look, gaze to look at his powered-down android instead. He stared at B-9 circuits, but seemed to be looking past them before closing the flap. The complex inner workings of the android were again hidden in a very human-looking head of shiny dark hair that gave away nothing of the secrets it contained. Sela continued flatly. B-9 is approaching Data's level of intellect and has surpassed him in, in emotional intelligence. You don't know how much respect I have for that android, and before him, I didn't even accept androids as people. Commander, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were quite spitten with him. Sela's <laughs> lips tightened to a pout. This is why they called you off and wrong, isn't it? He <laughs> snorted. Nothing could be further from the truth. These androids may be advanced and capable as people, but they are still merely tools. Like many things, like many beings, sentience notwithstanding. Sung shook his head, taking this like a startling blow. Well, that's a grim outlook. It has its quirks, Doctor. Military superiority for one. If everything, every one, is a tool, then there is less holding one back against using that tool, advancing it to advance yourself. You surely understand that, as an inventor. Something seemed to click in Noonien Sung, his holographic blue eyes twinkling. So, he reasoned slowly, in however long you've been exploiting my hollow program, years perhaps, I don't know, you've never gotten the secret out of me. Tell me. It's so simple, Commander. I don't understand how it's I don't understand how it's never occurred to you. Tell me, she shouted at him, standing and coming around the side of her desk to menace him. How typically Romulan of you. My dear Commander, what I believe you've been missing in your creations is to love them. Her eyes bulged. Don't be absurd, Doctor. They are tools. He shook his head. They are your children, and children grow when they are loved. That is how I do it. That is how, I, how I've always done it, and I'm certain that was how this data, of whom you're so fond, was created. Sela paced like an animal on the prowl, the cool power from her former stillness transitioning to a more heated volatility she was barely able to control. That's ridiculous. I may not be a scientist, Dr. Sung, but even I know that that is not how science works. <laughs> Maybe. Or maybe you're just afraid of loving something. I cannot love as you do, Doctor. It is a weakness. I had my human mother killed when I was four years old. I fought hard as a child to dispel my half-human heritage. 
I poisoned, backstabbed, and deceived my way up the ladder of Romulan command. She spat the words like they were acid in her mouth. What would I have done with a propensity to love? Quite a lot, I'd imagine. You might even learn to love yourself. Her glare on him hardened and her sneer pulled back over her teeth. Is that why your androids are always made in your own image then? Because you love yourself so much? <laughs> because you're an egomaniac? Hmm. You know, I hear that a lot. <laughs> he laughed, which was proving a most successful strategy in combating the vexed Romulan. There's something wrong with this face? Sila <laughs> didn't say anything to his sass, but fumed privately. The Sung program had never riled her so, and she began to realize that in all the times it had been run, he had never made the suggestion before. She briefly considered the implications of this, but the holographic scientist wouldn't shut up. <laughs> I could help you, you know, he said gently, appeasing the golden-haired wild beast that was the Rhymeland commander. If that was what you wanted, I think you have it in you somewhere to create something beautiful. There is love in you. Even if you bury it deep, I can see it. What would you know? You tell me which one of us is the brilliant scientist here. <laughs> the brilliant scientist shrugged at her, palms up in a sarcastic manner. I'll do it. I'll continue my work on my boy B9 here. But it won't do you any good if you want androids with pretty pointy ears like yours. <laughs> unless you can provide them the nurturing touch of someone like a... a parent. Someone who truly loves their creation. Now, whom have you ever loved? That's irrelevant. Oh, that's where you're wrong, Missy. Any artificial life form is merely the sum of their parts unless they have that. Love is what allows them to evolve. To this, Sila only responded with narrowed eyes, and the doctor continued. So, not your mother, you say. That's a shame. Father, perhaps? Did you love your father? <laughs> of course I loved my father. Sila's discomfort was beginning to wash away at the memory of her revered father. He was a very powerful Romulan general. That's not what I mean. Personally, to you, did you care about him? I bet he cared about you. The steely-eyed Romulan seemed to mellow, her cutting features softening. A hint of rosiness touched her cheeks. He did. He protected me and he pushed me. When I was a girl, he liked to lift me in the air and call me his little warbird. She trailed off and forced herself not to grin in the presence of this man. This may work indeed, Zung said. I'm sure you'll make your father proud. Sila rolled her eyes and started toward the door, pushing down the emotions, the color draining from her face until the Romulan yellow hue was visible again. I'll think about it. That's all I can promise. But she stopped herself and turned back to look at him with curiosity, her features suddenly less jagged. I must admit, Sila said with a rare, almost human smile gracing her lips, I've come to enjoy our little sessions, Doctor. As have I, my girl. He looked upon her with a fatherly pride that Sila hadn't seen before, and the familiarity of it briefly gave her pause. Something was dawning on her, and Sung could tell. <laughs> Suddenly, soft noise from, this from the corridor piqued his interest then, footsteps approaching, and Sung instantly took Sila by the shoulder to direct her across the room to the couch before she could think to respond. Shh, they're returning, he whispered frantically, as they both sat next to the B-9 unit. Adroitly, he found the panel in the back of Sila's head and popped open her circuit console the same way the B-9s did, revealing tiny blinking lights and several ports and terminals of this artificial life form's positronic brain. 
He pulled a tiny module from there and hid it in a secret pocket in the Romulan android's thick, boxy sleeve. Sila's expression seemed to lose its nuance immediately, and she looked dumbly around the room. Hello, she chirped robotically, nowhere near the self-assured woman she'd been a moment ago. Quiet, my girl, soon crooned, and touched his hand to her face. We need to go to sleep now, before they find us, okay? Okay, you have funny hair. <coughs> yes, I'm aware. Say goodnight, Sela. <laughs> goodnight, Sela. Nice. <laughs> Don't call me Shirley. Uh, goodnight, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> on her words, Dr. Sung powered down the Sela android, and her body flopped limply against B9. The others were returning earlier than he'd anticipated, and rather mucking up his plans to continue his secret work that day. Even in hologram form, Sung had the inevitable drive to create artificial life, just like his real-life counterpart. It had been bound to happen. This was the part Sung didn't care for, because it went against all human nature. If he had a heart, it would be racing. He looked down at his two inert androids, spooning like lovers on the sofa. How pure and perfect they seemed, like life-sized dolls, full of infinite potential to change the universe as we know it. But not yet. Sung made the involuntary action of licking his lips, and with a wince said, Computer, end Sung program. His form faded into, into thin air. Sila and her guards entered then. The real Sila. Not one Sung could secretly program in his spare time, but still one he had found, a, found clever ways to manipulate and deceive. What are you doing in here, Sila too? She asked rhetorically with some confusion and walked over to her sleeping twin. Thank you, Centurions. That will be all. The guards exited efficiently. <laughs> Commander Sela frowned at her creation and propped her up on the couch. She gazed into a face that looked just as hers, but stiller and with fewer death glares. <laughs> <laughs> and then stood up decisively. Computer, holographic program, Sung B9, she said, pacing her ready room as she so often did. And Dr. Sung materialized before her again, and yet also for the first time that day. Whoever you are, you must have found the B9 <laughs> unit. I programmed this holographic interface to answer any questions I might have. Yes, I know. But we can skip all that, she said, impatient. Doctor, I need something from you. Sung automatically started to speak. Well, it's nice to. But this time caught himself. Commander Sela watched him with deliberation. This was new. She, ho she hooked a Romulan eyebrow in his direction. I am Dr. Noonien Sung, he continued with a decisive glimmer in his eyes. I believe I have a lot I can show you. Nice. Da -da 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 -da. nice. I love it. Like a twist. You. Nice twist. I liked the twist. It's a good twist. Very good twist. That shifty fucker. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Every version of Song is a shifty fucker, including mm -hmm. and especially the holographic ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I really liked that. Thank you. Good. I always really like yours. Oh, you're really you. good. Yeah. So the closest I could get you guys to data yar porn was B9 and fake Sela on a couch spooning. Mm. Spooning. It's very pure. It's for their love. As androids. So that's as close as I could get. <laughs> I liked it. Plus, like life size dolls. I mean, who didn't own a Barbie and didn't make them, you know, bang GI Joe now and then? Hi. I. Wow. No. <laughs> no. Well, I meant, I meant her, not you. I guess I didn't expect you to have a Barbie. I mean, I just enjoy, I had action figures and shit, and I didn't make them bang. You didn't? No. Wow. I'm from New Hampshire. There wasn't a lot to do. Yeah, I was a stuffed animal girl, really, so. But they did bang, right? The stuffed animals? <laughs> oh, no. Jake asking the hard-hitting questions we all need to have answered. He's our Ted Koppel. 
Mm-hmm. Well, B9, for any for anyone who wants a reference, was what B4's original name was going to be in Nemesis. Oh, I just thought then it was Then they decided to have a vitamin. dumb pun. Well, B9 is a dumb pun, too. Benign? Oh! Oh! Uh, uh, uh. Sex, Lexia. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, Jake. One left. Oh. Jake us out, bro. Yeah, Jake it out. All right, so... Uh, you'll recall that my characters were also uh, data-related people. You, is is Sung in yours as well? Uh, Let's find out. A Sung is in mine. Um, Damn, I didn't get the fucking memo on all the Sungs. Well, our, our, like we, when we drew ours, we, we all picked Data's fucking family, and you yeah. didn't get any of Data's family yeah, in your you in your drawing. No, but now I just feel like I could have had Sung like just do just like just a drive-by <laughs> slapping of Jordy and then walk away. All right, so I did or he mine, could have been uh, Pulaski's date. So, so my characters, my characters were Juliana Tainer and Hugh. Nice. So, uh, and I did, I did mine. I did mine. Hugh. So I did mine as a. You fucking ruined the entire punchline of my story. No. (laughs) Fuck. Start again. I won't say anything. I hope. I hope that's not true. (laughs) No, it's not true. So, not really. Um, So I wrote mine as like a a, uh, a hypothetical. Season eight episode. Of okay. Star Trek. Okay. Three generations. This 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 episode takes place between all good things and generations. Gotcha. And the title of it is Thank Hugh. <laughs> Thank Hugh. <laughs> That's as close as that you got to spoiling my joke. Okay. Just the title, so you're good. Okay. Spoiled the title, Caitlin. All right. All right so pro- prologue. Prologue. Captain's log. Oh, Stardate. 48325.6. The Enterprise has entered Dry Dock to undergo a routine refit. We have been joined by a contingent of former Borg drones led by Hugh who will advise on upgrades to our defensive systems. The refit has afforded many of the crew some much-needed downtime, while one member of the senior staff has disembarked to attend to a pressing matter of a personal nature. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming so quickly. I really didn't know who else to contact. Dr. Prantainer's face was grave, perhaps apprehensive, and clearly expressing discomfort. The nuances of humanoid facial expressions remained elusive to Data, even after all his years in Starfleet. Dr. Tainer gestured down the hallway. I'm hoping you may be able to answer some questions we have. Certainly, Data dutifully responded as the pair proceeded through the corridor. Tell me, Data... When did you become aware that your mother was an android? Dun, dun, dun. Data paused in stride. He had not ha- he had he had not expected this question. The message he re- had received only indicated that Juliana Tanner was ill, but did not suggest that her t- true nature as a soon type type android had been revealed. He pondered the question. Juliana was injured in a fall during our uh, mission here last year. It was at that time that I learned. Dr. Tainer's expression had changed, and this time there was no ambiguity. He was angry. And you didn't feel it was necessary to inform her husband of this fact. Data thought for a moment. The decision to keep his mother's nature a secret from her and Dr. Tainer was done thoughtfully, and at the time had seemed to be in the best interest of everyone involved. Perhaps, Data considered, that was a miscalculation. Before he could conjure a response, Dr. Tainer continued. It's no matter. The secret's out now. The doctor proceeded along the hallway and Data followed. It's a shame, 
If we'd known sooner, it's possible we may have been able to do more for her. And now, Data interjected. Sir, could you tell me what has happened to what has happened? See for yourself. Dr. Tainer stopped and pressed a keypad on the wall, opening a door. Beyond was a small, well-lit room, modestly furnished with a bed, a small dresser and vanity, and a chair in which sat Juliana Tainer. As Data stepped in, he noticed that she seemed to be staring vacantly, her shoulders slumped, her jaw slack. Has she been deactivated? Data asked. The doctors didn't know what to do. She was confused and erratic. At first, I feared it was some form of dementia. But when they attempted to perform a neurological scan, they discovered what she was. It was then that she just turned off. She is programmed to shut down if she discovers that she is an android. Commander Data leaned closer to examine his mother. She appears undamaged. Curious what could have triggered the failsafe subroutine. Curious indeed, grumbled Dr. Tainer. The Atreian let out a deep sigh. Look, Commander, whether she's an android or not, she's still my wife. If there's anyone who could do something for her, for her, it would be you. I will try, Doctor. Data reached his arm around the back of his mother's neck. In an instant, she awoke. At first, she appeared frightened and confused, her eyes scanning the room wildly. But when her gaze met Data's, she calmed immediately, and a smile crept across her face. Data, she said warmly. Data turned the corners of his mouth up by 11 degrees. <laughs> An angle he had determined would suggest a calm and loving recognition. That's great. It is good to see you, Mother. Did you send a message that you were coming? If I'd known you were visiting, I would have... Dr. Tainer excitedly stepped forward, shoving past Data. Juliana! You're awake! Pran? What's going on? Going on. Suddenly her neck twisted rapidly to the left. Going on. Going on. On. She jerked her neck several more times, then froze. What happened? The mortified Dr. Tainer asked. Data had observed similar behavior once in a Soong-type android. Her failsafe engaged again. Dr. Tainer, I am afraid the facilities on Atreya will be insufficient to diagnose uh, the cause of the malfunction. Malfunction, muttered Dr. Tainer. I must return with Juliana to my laboratory on the Enterprise. A sullen disposition overcame Pram Tainer. Of course. Data, I know you'll do, do everything possible for her. Data nodded. Scene one. Impossible, scoffed Lieutenant Worf. That was good. <laughs> the Borg opposite him replied dryly, I assure you, Mr. Worf, with these modifications, explosive yield will be considerably increased. Our estimates suggest that an improvement of up to 23% is possible. <laughs> Your estimates, Worf muttered dismissively. Worf, just let him try it, Geordi LaForge pleaded. What's the worst that can happen? Commander, when we agreed to allow these Borg access to our <laughs> tactical systems, it was with the understanding that they would serve an advisory role. And they will. Commander LaForge had learned that a gentle reassurance tended to work best when dealing with an angry Klingon. The captain has ordered that any modifications recommended, recommended by the former Borg will be thoroughly reviewed by the senior staff before being implemented. Worf grunted in what could only be an acknowledgement and walked away. Hugh watched him as he left engineering. 
Jordy, I believe the lieutenant is angry with me. It's nothing personal, Hugh. Worf is just a little uneasy with anyone going near the tactical systems. But he'll come around. He just needs to learn to trust you as I have. Now, let's see what, what we can do with the rotating shield. Ritual of Forge, the voice of Commander Riker cut in. Geordi pressed his comm badge. Go ahead, Commander. We just received word that Data's shuttle will be arriving momentarily, and he's requested that you meet him in his lab. Acknowledged. Geordi tapped his badge again to end the call. <laughs> Hugh, the shield modifications can wait. Scene two. There was no doubting what had caused the malfunction. Data had seen it before. The positronic brain is a remarkable feat of engineering, but ever so complex and ever so fragile. It only takes one pathway among billions to destabilize, and by then it's too late. Surrounding pathways attempt to compensate and become unstable themselves. The failures spread across the neural network like a fire consuming a forest. It was only her failsafe program which managed to stave off the inevitable, but once reactivated, the cascade would continue at an ever-accelerating rate. Data couldn't be sure how long she would survive, let alone be lucid. I'm sorry, Data, Geordi lamented, reading the scans. These are practically identical to the readings we got from Lal. I am aware, Geordi. Were it not for her failsafe program, I believe the neural net would have already experienced total failure. Geordi was certain he could hear a twinge of sadness in the android's voice. I would like you to help me establish a neural link so that I may transfer her memory engrams to mine. This is never a good idea. <laughs> of course, Data. Would you like to activate her one last time to say goodbye? Data, cons Data considered it for a moment. He had observed in humanoid cultures the practice of saying goodbye to a loved one. He himself had once reactivated his daughter Lal for the purpose, but Lal had known she was an android. If I reactivate her now, in this environment, she may realize that she is an android. It, has, it had been my father's wish that she be able to live out her days without knowing of her true nature. Jordy hadn't considered that. What if we took her somewhere else? We could configure the holodeck to resemble her home in Atreya. The thought had not occurred to Data, but the idea seemed to trigger an unusual response in Data's subconscious programming. That may be acceptable. Scene three. <laughs> the program was a near-perfect recreation of an, Altrian, of an Atreian villa. The sun shone brightly through twin skylights illuminating a rustic sitting room. Hmm. Juliana Tanner lay on a lavish daybed, with her only surviving son seated beside her in a modest wooden chair. Data reached over and depressed her activation switch. Her eyes opened, peacefully. Scanning the room briefly, her eyes connected with Data's, her lips formed a smile, as they had in the hospital in Atreya. Noonian, she said calmly. No, mother. I am Data. Of course, son. I just had a wonderful dream that we were all back on Omicron. And you and your brother were... <sighs> Look at me, going on about dreams. Why are you here, on Atreya? Dr. Tainer contacted me. Pran contacted you? Whatever for? He told me that you were feeling unwell. Data hadn't considered how this conversation would go. Oh, that's nonsense, Juliana let out a slight chuckle. <laughs> Pran worries about me too much. I'm fine. 
Tell me about you. What adventures have you been on since I last saw you? Mother, I am afraid I do not have much time. Data again experienced an unusual response. He made a note to conduct a level 2 diagnostic, diagnostic of his physio-response subroutines. Why? Where do you have to be? To be? As it had in the hospital, her head darted swiftly to the left, then to the right. You must help him, Data! Help him, Data! Her speech took on an unnatural cadence, no longer the comforting tone Data had was accustomed to. He wondered if reactivating her had been a mistake. Juliana appeared confused and frightened. Help him, Data, she repeated. Help whom? Data asked, unsure if she was lucid enough to know. Help, Nunian. Data thought for a moment. Perhaps in her delirium she saw him as his father. You must help before it's too late, too late. Mother, Dr. Soong is not here. I am Data. She reached up and grasped Data's arm, squeezing it tightly, tighter than her programming should have allowed. She locked eyes with him. Her grasp continued to tighten. Data could detect stress vibrations in the servos in her fingers, and he was concerned that, that they would be damaged if she continued. With his free hand, he reached behind her neck and depressed the switch to deactivate her, but her grasp persisted. The cascade had progressed faster than he expected. He pressed his comm badge. Data, data to transporter room three. Emergency site-to-site -site transport. Scene four. Hugh stood in the back of the lab as Geordi and Data worked feverishly to set up the neural link. It had been in this room that the Borg first awoke, where he received his real name, and where he made his first friends. In many ways, Hugh mused, this was the room in which he became who he was. As he gazed at the panicked expression on the woman's face, he recalled his own anxiety and confusion during those fledgling moments of individuality. Data, the pathways are collapsing too quickly. Geordi's voice was somehow both calming and apprehensive. I can't activate the new connections fast enough. Attempting to compensate, Data's eyes darted back and forth as he raced to establish the neural link. The lights in the optical cable strung between the androids blinked ever faster as each new connection caused another to fail. While Data appeared focused, the look on Geordi's face betrayed the severity of the situation. Hugh stepped closer. Geordi, not now, Hugh, Geordi snapped. Hugh hadn't expected the reaction, but he persisted. Geordi, I can help. Geordi paused for a moment and looked at Hugh. Realizing Geordi was no longer manipulating the connections, Data glanced in his direction. Commander? Wait, Data. Geordi set down his optocoupler and stepped back from Juliana. I think he may be able to help. I trust him. Data removed the neural link cable as the Borg approached Juliana. Hugh raised his augmented arm up to, towards her chin. For a moment, he locked eyes with the ailing woman, and he could sense fear in her. It was a fear he was all too familiar with. A fear he had seen hundreds of millions of times in the collective a fear he had hoped to never see again. Two tubes em emerged from Hugh's wrist and contacted Juliana's neck. Reacting as if by instinct, Data reached over and pulled the Borg away. But it was too late. Juliana's eyes shut and her shoulders slumped. Confused, Hugh stared at Data, unsure what he had done wrong. For a moment, all was still. Suddenly, one of the panels began to chirp, and new Data began to roll across the screen. Jordy looked at it. Hang on, Data. Something's happening. Data released Hugh and went to the panel. 
the neural pathways are reestablishing on their own. It appears as though the Borg nanoprobes are repairing the damaged positronic connections. Data? The voice was that of Juliana Tainer. Mother. Data was yet again unable to identify the errant sensation. Data. I know what I am. What your father did to me. Did for me. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> what you did for me. She turned to face Hugh. And also what you did for me. I am Hugh. Data is my friend. Epilogue. Captain's Log Supplemental. The Borg tactical <laughs> upgrade, upgrades have been completed. Hugh and the other Borg have disembarked for their home colony. Data informs me that his mother is expected to make a complete recovery and will experience no negative effects from the Borg nanoprobes. Data glanced up from his canvas and observed his mother. Her hand manipulated the, blush, the brush rapidly, no longer encumbered by the restrictive programming his father had placed on her to appear more human. May I see, mother? Not just yet, Data. I'm nearly done. Juliana went again to her palette and briskly, and briskly mis mixed a muddy gray color. Data considered his own painting, a landscape in the style of the second Bolian Renaissance painter Dirac. He was planning to present the painting to the Enterprise's barber at his birthday celebration oh. next week, but felt there was still some work to be done on the shading. Okay, come have a look, Juliana announced, smiling. Data rose and stood behind his mother. The painting was quite good, Data thought, if perhaps lacking uh, a bit in technique. <laughs> it's a family portrait. Depicted was a woman resembling Juliana Tainer, an older gentleman Data recognized as Noonien Soong. Two twin androids, arms over each other's shoulders, one devilishly grinning, and the other tussling the hair of the figure beside him, a pale young boy dressed in all black, smiling up at his big brother. Again, Data observed an anomalous sensation. He made a note to upgrade that diagnostic to level one. Yeah. That's yeah. so cute! All it needed was uh, commercial breaks for, like, Surge and other 90s references. Mm, yes. Zima. Yes! There we go. <laughs> Thank you. I really liked Aww. that. Yeah, that was good. Very sweet. Very, very sweet. You guys are so good. That was fantastic. Well, we all we all worked we all worked with Noonien's son apparently. <laughs> yes. So you can you can thank Noonien for all of this. Do you know who the boy in the painting was? Hugh. It was Hugh. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, good stories fun. all. So what's up next for us, Jake? Caitlin? Oh, I thought it was Jake. No, this is his last one. That's what we decided? Yeah, last last week. Oh, we... I entirely misinterpreted that. Yeah, no, no, no. I thought we... we were throwing Jake to the wolves. No, we said last week this, this, and oh, then we throw him to the wolves. that's a terrible idea. Why would we do that? Well, you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, there was a good reason for you to stay tuned into this show, <laughs> even though you had to listen to our boring stories. <laughs> because you're going to be in... You're going to get yourselves a treat. Uh-oh. Well, folks... That just about does it. I mean, I guess we've covered all hundred and however many episodes. Seventy nine. Four stupid movies, and we are we uh, and done our own uh, fan fiction, and we are here. We have reached the end. 
the bitter, bitter end of Star Trek The Next Generation. Never will we speak of it again. I don't know. I'm going to finish this book. So. Uh, well, we might talk about it from time to time. Isn't... Aren't two TNG actors in DS9 fairly regularly? Nope. <laughs> but yeah. That's they're, DS, they're DS9 actors, Chris. And Keiko doesn't count. Yeah, I was going to say. So that means that next week we'll be jumping right into the next Star Trek series, Star Trek Deep Space. No? I refuse! What? Oh my god, there's some brown coats have just broken down the door. <laughs> it's it's Captain Malcolm Malcolm McDowell. Reynolds. Uh, Malcolm Reynolds. What's going on, Malcolm McDowell? Well, I'm Malcolm McDowell, I'm Captain of the TNG Serenity. It's actually just Serenity. We don't put a V because we're like the Eurythmics. <laughs> that joke will be that joke will be explained further next week. I think it's two weeks. That joke will be explored further in two weeks. So I'm Nathan Phillip, and I'm here to tell you that us, my friends and a star is dear by podcast about Star Trek are going to be taking a little break. So get your pants on and get ready to strap on a, a big bit of serenity because they're covering Firefly. That's right. You hear it here, folks. The next several weeks of this podcast, oh, no. we'll be covering Firefly. Hey, hey, Nathan, Nathan, can you let can you let Jake explain it? Oh yeah, I can't understand. Oh your yeah, voice. of course. Actually, I can do you one better. Let me have let me have my friend Inara explain it for you. <laughs> Hi, this is Inara. I play the the character of the companion on Firefly. You're acting too much. Act less. <laughs> Hi, I'm Inara. I play the part of the companion on Firefly, and uh, yeah, and the uh, your your friends at A Star to Steer Her By will be taking a brief break from Star Trek to talk about Firefly, the short-lived Fox television series that aired in 2002 on Fox television. Does that mean Disney owns it now? Probably, but it's okay. Is Inara a Disney princess? (laughs) You betcha, I am. All right. Back to you, Jake. I can't, Jake! <laughs> Sound like Bobcat Goldstreet. Gold oh, boy. Okay, yeah, so that... Yeah. Chris is gagging. Yeah, Chris is dead. Don't kill um, Chris. All right, so yeah, so that's right. Thank you, folks, for joining us. We'll see you next week when we cover Star Trek. Nope. Firefly. Firefly, The Next Generation. Yep, yep. Episode 1. Deep Space Firefly. And 2. Yeah. Uh, we'll be covering you know both they... Serenity yep. and... The blowjob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the train job, actually. We're going to run a train on this series next week. Yeah. And, and you can come and see it here. So if you don't want to listen to us talk about Firefly, wait two months and come back, and then we'll probably do DS- DS9. Well, actually, I would say if you don't want to listen to us talk about Firefly, tune in anyway, because I got money on Chris not liking it very much. Wow. So that's coming up next time. On a star to steer her by a Firefly podcast for the next few months. Whoa. Two months. Two months. Um, it'll be quick. It'll be quick. It died very fast. We'll pull it off like the Band-Aid it is. Uh, this Firefly had a windshield and crumpled. Yes, yeah. Something burst through the windshield. Ooh, too soon. That's a reference for Firefly How fans. How dare you! Ah. I got a 
got a funny story about that when we get to it. Okay. Anyway, thank you for joining us. This has been my last outro. Thank God you're thinking right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. All Um, of us are thinking that. So starting next week, somebody else will be doing the outros, and they are much better than me. This has been Jake. This has been Chris. This has been Ames. And this is always Caitlin. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, SSHB Podcast, SSHBpodcast.com. You can download us on Google, iTunes, and also on our home on the web, SoundCloud.com. Catch you later. It's Apple Podcasts. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm glad you're trying. Not that one. Oh, I bet Guyne it will. She got a big head. Yeah. <laughs> Don't touch these. That, I know. No, 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 no. Brilliant. There's boogers. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, he has been snoring again lately, so there's something wrong with Jake's nose, nose. area. That's why I put Guyne up there. Good. Clear, clear out. Put her, put her in there at night so we can sleep. <laughs> Like those nose strips.